My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Lord, as we gather around you, we ask you for that grace of spirit of penance during these special times of Lent, these days of grace. And we want that spirit of penance because self-denial on many fronts is part of that trajectory to enter into your heart. We have that holy vested interest, ulterior motive, of getting to know you more intimately, more personally. And we have that other vested interest, which is your vested interest, Lord, that we be more of a light, more of a witness to you. And all the time, but especially during these days of Lent, the prominent word is penance and repentance. Lord, what is it that you want us to see? Centuries before the birth of Christ, especially the prophet Isaiah, the Psalms as well, specify what kind of penance gives glory to God. And the Holy Spirit, through these scriptural writers list the different acts of devotion, keeping the Sabbath, fasting, prayer, putting on sackcloth and ashes. And the Holy Spirit says that those acts in themselves do not please God that why should God be pleased by the sacrifice of an animal or cereal offerings? And since David, I think, reigned a thousand years before Jesus, David, heavily illuminated by the Holy Spirit, reveals what is God's favorite form of penance. And David says here, For you have no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
and in the intimacy of our hearts, we can tell our Lord, Lord, give me the grace of repentance. It's a grace. And we could hear our Lord tell us it's a grace, but I want a specific struggle. My grace works with your freedom because freedom is the motor for love. An act of freedom is an act of love. But Lord, create that new heart. You tell us that. Create a new heart in me, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. This psalm keeps being used throughout Lent. Psalm 51, the psalm of repentance after David had his serious fall. Yes, we have our Lenten resolutions, and that gives glory to God. But the common denominator, the Holy Spirit tells us, Jesus himself, is that spirit of examination so that we can exercise that devotion of sorrow and commitment to struggle in a certain area or avoid a certain sin. Jesus' opening salvo in his public life and depends on the prayer and the priest used when we were anointed with ashes last week. The first phrase of his public life is, repent and believe in the gospel. And repent, the original word is metanoia, which is very difficult to translate accurately into English because it's, yes, it's sorrow for sin, but it literally means an entire overhaul of bad habits, of sinful actions, a, a total change from head to toe. So metanoia is a super cleaning, hard to translate. And then, as a consequence of that overhaul, that super cleaning, believe in the gospel. And belief is a very loaded word and can't be ever fully translated because ultimately belief means struggling to be a saint. It's to commit yourself to every word Jesus said and every action he performed. That's what belief means in its totality. So it's a, 
Holiness is a twofold process. It's repentance in order to be free to embrace the gospel, to believe. That's what believe is, not just agreeing with the catechism or saying, Jesus, you're spot on, etc. What must I do? We ask that question. Let's look at the personages in Jesus' public life. What we notice, there's a number of qualities in those personages. There's a number of low points as well. Virtually everyone is flawed, seriously flawed. If we stop at the infancy narratives, we could get very discouraged. One of the main characters is immaculately conceived. The other one is, happens to be God, now with a human nature, St. John the Baptist. But the public life of Jesus switches gears. You have pretty significant sinners there. And many of those serious sinners form Jesus' entourage of disciples. And his deputy will eventually, and we will commemorate that during Lent as well, was off to a very poor start. After Jesus' public life and after being invited to pray in Gethsemane, after having his feet washed, after learning the new commandment to love with the heart of Christ, Peter loses his temper, much to the chagrin of the master, and cuts someone's ear off. Within the context, he seemed to have tried to kill a man. He missed his head and just got his ear. So he swung hard. And the grand finality of his sinfulness, of his presumption, of his bravado, of his tendency to compare himself with his brother apostles, he commits one of the worst sins. He betrays Jesus after having <coughs> promised that Maybe everybody else would betray him, but he would not betray him. I tell my retreatants when I'm giving a meditation on repentance. And people get nervous if sacramental confession is part of a five-year plan or ten-year plan. And so I try to give them some encouragement and Tell them, don't take yourself so seriously and, and don't give in to pride that your sins are extremely special. They're not. They're kind of standard, bordering on boring. And I said, I'm morally certain that no one sliced anybody's ear off and that no one denied Jesus Christ swearing and cursing in public. And so, 
And I don't think anybody terrorized anybody, like St. Paul, who was, the scriptures say that he was responsible for the first martyrs. How did they convert? And I need to do the same thing, perhaps without the melodrama of these gospel episodes. How did Peter become effective? Not in the American sense where, you know, now he became a big success, but how did he become a witness? How did he become an evangelizer? It all started when Jesus looked at him and he looked at Jesus. And he contemplated how much Jesus loved him and how he loved him unconditionally. And how Jesus, in that look, he was saying, I'm glorified by healing you. You need to repent. And you're going to be even better than before. And notice when our Lord leads Peter to confession, he doesn't say, are you sorry for having denied me? Or are you sorry for being violent and becoming enraged at my adversary? He says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And Peter clearly repents, avoids that sin of presumption, of comparison, of jealousy. Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. Great act of contrition, because that's what an act of contrition basically is. (coughs) We see in the gospel every conversion is personal and unique, but there is a common thread that they all converse with Jesus, they look at Jesus. It's not a question of guilt or hearing a discourse on ethics or even threats of condemnation. It's contemplating the love and the goodness of Jesus. It always begin, doesn't even begin with an examination of conscience. It leads to that. And I think there could be a tendency to skip a, a very important step. Let me get right to the examination of conscience and, and analyze how I'm doing. No. Yet, what comes first is to look at him plagiarizing the readings we have, we've had during this retreat from Fulton Sheen, or the recording. He was speaking about looking at the goodness of Jesus, especially Jesus on the cross. His knee-jerk reaction when he's being nailed 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And just the, as, as Thomas Aquinas says and all the, all the great saints say that the greatest sermon of Jesus was acted out, Pilate asked for an elaboration of truth, a definition of truth, and Jesus didn't answer him. It, ostensibly, it seems that he was not going to give him an explanation of truth. Pilate said, what is truth? Well, he did. Not immediately when he was crucified. That was his answer. That's truth. This is the greatest revelation of God's love. And I need to look at that in order to examine myself. I need to see how much he loves me. And I need to look at the standard. Again, plagiarizing the recording, Fulton Sheen was saying that in order to be familiar with dirty water, you need to first be familiar with clean water. In order to know that a note is dissonant, you have to know what harmony is like. In order to be uncomfortable with the weather, even though we've had a nice winter, you need to be familiar with California. And then you understand what good weather is. Then you could appreciate the bad weather here. But so he says, well, we need to look at him. And again, we use that special psalm of repentance. The Holy Spirit composes this prayer. Behold, you desire truth in the inward being. Behold, you desire self-knowledge. Know yourself. St. Jose Maria was big on this savage sincerity. Why? Because that's the raw material for contrition. And he himself said that was his favorite devotion. I remember, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Wisdom ultimately is a word meant for Christ. Christ is called begotten wisdom. So in order to know Christ, I need this repentance. And our father, St. Maria, wanted images of our Lord that would awaken sorrow. And a lot of his prayer was looking at the humanity of Jesus. And it worked. I recall an anecdote from Father Raphael when he was a young Navy man and he was going to school in Genoa, Italy for advanced courses and running ships. And he had opportunities to see St. Maria take trips to Rome. And I think he went on an excursion. 
and dur um, during the excursion they stopped for refreshments. And our father began to elaborate on a grandiose plan for apostolate or evangelization. And there were two or three guys, and he had them mesmerized, Father Rafi was saying. And as we've all experienced in Rome, a beggar approached them. They were outside for some alms. And our father was very much immersed in his explanation and shushed him away and continued explaining, much to the relief of his listeners. Listen, I'm speaking and I'm really trying to concentrate on what I want to say, and so I, you know, don't distract me with uh, asking for a few coins. I'll take care of you later. So anyway, nobody thought much of it, and everybody went home, and St. Maria wrote a letter to, at that time, Rafa, and he said, I have an apology to make to you. He said, I gave you very bad example. Here a poor beggar comes and asks for alms, and I shushed him away. And I apologize if I scandalized you. I should never have done that. And he said, I am profoundly sorry. Father Raphael's reaction was, well, you're trying to give an explanation and you, you, you didn't want to be distracted. But it was, obviously, it made an impression because it didn't occur to anybody that he did anything wrong. It happens all the time. And maybe he didn't have any money in his pocket, whatever. And he would do that. I heard another story where they were buying furniture and someone had that job to purchase furniture and this individual assured St. Jose Maria that the furniture would be there and installed. And he asked this one of his sons, he says, where's the, where's the furniture? And he started to explain that couldn't write a check because there's no money in the bank, but, uh, but our, our father wouldn't let him explain. He says, you know, don't give me any excuses. Where, are you gonna, is it here or, or isn't it? He says, well, no, it's not. He says, that's all I want to know. And then the future Blessed Alvaro said he was ready to purchase it and bring it here, but the, there was no money in the bank for him to write a check. And so our our father was apologizing to him. He goes to this get-together and announces this injustice. 
with this son of his that here he is trying to give an explanation and he cut him off, etc. And many times he was playing that role of the prodigal son. And it's not, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. What sins? I don't know, but I'm still sorry. I need the sincerity. I need to get down to detail. It has nothing to do with scrupulosity or self-absorption so that I can offer that humble and contrite heart. That's why my confessions need to be concrete. Not verbose, but concrete, complete, concise, because it awakens repentance, it awakens sorrow. I see in the gospel, in the parable of the prodigal son, the most moving episode of repentance in the gospel, I think. How did it start? Well, he, he started to experience emptiness and sadness. We all are prone to bouts of sadness or anger or weariness or feelings of frustration. We want to use those sentiments to our advantage because there's always the P word, pride, behind those sentiments. And there's always a resistance to radically imitate Jesus on the cross. We're, we're, we're a work in progress, and he wants us to be part of this. It's not, he creates a humble and contrite heart without our cooperation. And the prodigal son, we experienced emptiness. And his, he was losing dignity because he was feeding swine. And he realized he'd been duped by sin. You know, sin is always a lie. I could be happy by alienating myself from God's will. And what does he do? Well, he contemplates the goodness of his father, which is an image of God the Father, but it's also an image of Christ himself. How good I had it with my father. I fooled myself. I lied to myself and alienated myself from him. And now look at me. And when he came to himself, that's sincerity. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is the scenario St. Jose Maria kept bringing to the fore in his own life. And that's what I want to do as well. Always beginning by looking at him and coming to myself. 
And we could end our prayer using these two points in the way. How low you have fallen this time, begin the foundations from down there. Be humble, a contrite and humbled heart, O God, you will not despise. Another fall, what a fall, despair, no. Humble yourself, and through Mary, your mother, have recourse to the merciful love of Jesus. A miserere, have mercy on me, and lift up your heart, and now begin again. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for.